0: Charlie Wilmoth. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Buck Stug Out Podcast. I I welcome to the Buck Dugout Podcast. I'm Charlie Wilmoth. It's just me and David Todd today. And David, we're going to start by talking through a couple of the roster moves that we are going to see Monday night.
1: Yeah, Charlie, the, we saw some stuff happen over the weekend and we're, we're broadcasting Monday afternoon and there are going to be uh, a few more things that happened today. Yesterday, Brian Morris got recalled from Indianapolis, and Jordy Mercer got optioned out. And A lot of Pirate fans have talked extensively about the fact that Jordy Mercer came up. There was a lot of noise made about that. I think there was some expectation that Jordy Mercer was going to get A couple starts, at least a couple starts a week, and it turned out he did get one or two starts, but then really sat on the pine for the last two or three weeks and only got 11 plate appearances, nine at-bats, one hit. So he gets moved down, and Brian Morris got called up yesterday, so they had another guy in the pen. Uh, That was more of a, a situation where the Pirates made the claim on Drew Sutton that we've written about on the site, Uh, And he wasn't able to join the club yesterday, so they had an open roster spot. They brought Morris up because neither Grilly nor Jared Hughes were available to throw yesterday. So uh, in terms of the X's and O's, yesterday really the move was Brian Morris up, Jordy Mercer down. Now that means uh, today we're going to have two other things happen. Drew Sutton, who has claimed, is going to be added to both uh, the 40-man and the 25-man roster Uh, He's already been added to the 40-man with Charlie Morton going on the 60-day DL. Today, he'll be added to the 25-man, and Jeff Karstens will be reinstated from the 15-day DL, and he'll join the 25-man. So there are going to be two moves made today. They're probably not, uh, you know, they're back-of-the-roster-type moves. The obvious one is to send Brian Morris back down, and I expect that to happen. And then the other move is going to be another reliever sent down, and I, I think the odds on favor in that is Doug Slayton, the lefty, who, uh, who's pe- appeared in about nine or ten games for the Bucks so far this year. He's been, you know, not overly effective, but not ineffective after being great in Indianapolis. I had a conversation with his agent a few weeks ago, and the discussion went, uh, If does Slayton have an option? The answer was surprisingly yes. And if that option happens, uh, because he had an, he had opted out on the June first thing, if he wasn't on the major league roster, what will happen if he's sent back down? And his agent told me that he expects uh, that he and Neil Huntington, with whom he has a good relationship, to come to a handshake agreement. And uh, they'll probably set up something where, you know, it'll be till August 1st now or July 15th. Or maybe they'll set up a contract like the the, the Phillies had with Jason Grilly, where if he's going to be added to the 25-man roster on another team, uh, he's free to sign. So just some minor stuff that's going to be tweaked here. The only thing then we're going to look forward to is Chris LaRue's rehab is going to come to a close here in the next week. And that's going to make it a kind of crowded bullpen, Charlie. Uh, and with a lot of guys in the minor leagues pitching pretty well, it'll be interesting to see what happens then. And you know, just throwing out ideas, Jared Hughes, who's been very effective, does have an option. So if they're looking to keep bodies around, maybe he gets sent down for 50, you know for ten days uh, and see see how things work. Or there's always the option that, uh, you know, Chris Resop or even Juan Cruz could be designated for assignment. But you never know if somebody's going to get hurt from here to there. But that's kind of the, the X's and O's of how we expect things to play out uh, coming into the Philly series.
0: Right. The, the Pirates have said in the past when they've had decisions to make like this that you know whether a guy has an option is a consideration for them because they want to keep as many potentially effective guys in the organization as they can if, if nobody else gets hurt in the next week i imagine we're going to see jared hughes sent down at some point i i, I wouldn't be shocked if he were sent to, it doesn't make much sense to speculate i guess because we're going to find out in a few hours but it, it wouldn't be shocking to me if he were sent down today i don't think doug slayton is a very good pitcher but i know know that the Pirates like having their, their two lefties in the pen. And uh, Hughes was unavailable yesterday. We've never really heard about why that is, but you have a take on that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Hurdle talked after the game and, and Jared Hughes commented on this. The team didn't actually give uh, a reason that he was unavailable. It certainly wasn't for overuse. I think he faced five batters on Friday night. And that was kind of the extent of his work. And he didn't obviously pitch on Thursday. So <laughs> they said it was not an arm or shoulder injury. And I joked around on the site that maybe it was hemorrhoids or something like that. And he, they said he had a physical condition. Uh, maybe had a blister on his toe or, you know, who knows what it was, but it's obviously not serious and they expect him to be available today. And the only reason I was thinking or the main reason I'm thinking he's not going to get sent down is because hurdle actually physically, you know, verbally commented that Hughes will be available today, which leads me to believe that they think he'll be part of the pen. And, you know, Charlie, he's he's not he's not a strikeout guy but he's a ground ball guy and he has been very effective and you know if you look at him versus resop who who is and can be a strikeout guy uh, it would be interesting but but really hasn't been with only twenty strikeouts and th- twenty six strikeouts and thirty seven innings it would be interesting to see if uh you know if chris resop at some point here going forward is at risk
0: right yeah It's it's true if we can look or look at the look back at the last couple of Series with uh, the Pirates taking two out of three from the Twins and then again taking two out of three from the Tigers. There's really no way to spin this that isn't positive. I mean, the Twins are a bad team, uh, but the Pirates are doing a really good job recently beating up on bad teams, which they haven't always done in the past. Uh, and then to take two out of three from the Tigers, who are you know actually a pretty decent team, and the and the pitching matchups in that series were distinctly unfavorable to the to the Pirates. To take two out of three from the from the Tigers and to come pretty close to taking a third one, pretty exciting stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I gotta agree. I mean, you know, you and I have been pessimistic on on certain aspects of this team and and wondering if things are sustainable. One of the positives here in this uh, this kind of 30 game stretch here. Uh, through kind of the first two weeks of the All Star break, because the Pirates are playing a lot of teams that are around or under 500. And as you said, w- you know one of the things I harped on a lot last year was for this team to be good, got to beat bad teams, and they have done that this year. They've been, uh, they went 10 and 8 in interleague this year, a winning record for the first time, and I don't know how long. And I think I saw that they had as many interleague wins. A-team in Major League Baseball, uh, and 13-8 and eight in June, which is, you know, fantastic. And as you said, there's no way to spin it. This is good baseball. And, Charlie, is it possible that, you know, in all the stuff that we write and we talk about that maybe we're kind of overlooking Andrew McCutcheon a little bit and how good he's been? I think
0: so. I mean, I think that, that we're really taking him for, for granted to a degree. I mean, everybody knows he's good. I think we all accept that. But, you know, exactly how good he's been has been – uh, something to behold, uh, especially recently. Over four yesterday, of course, but putting up some really big hits in uh, in the, the rest of the games in the Tigers series, and also throughout the Twins series, um, and also going back to the Cleveland series. So, yeah, I mean, it just seems like every time there's an opportunity for him to 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 really make hay, recently, he's really seized it.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And and one other, one other thing to throw out here about. Uh, where things stand and, and, you know, how we talk about regression of the mean and the Pythagorean record and all of that. What's been going on lately is actually uh, makes the Pirates look a little bit more sustainable the runs scored and mm-hmm. runs allowed they're down to just minus five i think you pointed out the other day it was to minus four so they're almost even in runs scored and runs allowed so that makes their pythagorean record at 35 and 36 so it's still advantageous and looks a little bit lucky but not as much as it used to the other thing is one run games the pirates were 17 and 10. people talk about one run games being something that's not sustainable it's a little bit more lucky and when teams have records that are skewed one way or the other uh, they tend to regress back toward 500. And in this six-game homestand, the Pirates actually went 4-2, and two, and both their losses were by one run. So that's at, that gap has actually closed. They're now 17-12. and 12. So everything that happened uh, kind of in this six-game homestand was a positive. Pirates played some good baseball. Even yesterday against Verlander, it looked like he was cruising along and Garrett Jones hits a two-run homer, and then all of a sudden Josh Harrison's hit one to the wall, and it looks like the Pirates might be in a tie game in the eighth. Not having Hughes and and uh, Grilly maybe hurt him a little bit, but you know, tip of the cap to Delman Young who takes a high fastball the other way, uh, grounds it into right field, and and uh, the Tigers come out with a three two win. But the Pirates are playing good baseball, and you know, certainly, uh, just from my perspective, I feel a lot more encouraged than I did two or three weeks ago.
0: Yeah, me too. So if we if we look at the the four and two over the Tigers and Twins uh, the Twins and Tigers series, Pirates had two one run losses in those in those two series but actually so mathematically they were kind of like wins right
1: well, well right. in terms of the yeah in terms of the, in terms of how people are looking at things from afar in terms of people who don't follow them every day they're going to look at this stuff and and as they aggregate things yeah they're going to like feel like uh you know the things they're doing are, are more sustainable than they were before the six host. yeah,
0: yeah I, I totally agree uh as we head into a four game series against philadelphia Right, we don't need to go into detail about this, but let me throw this at you: Pirates, 254 runs allowed this year. Phillies, 325 runs allowed with their pitching staff.
1: Wow, I, I hadn't seen that, and that blows my mind. Obviously, not having Cliff Lee for a while uh, is uh, has affected that, but that number—Roy Roy Halladay, right? Uh, excuse me, Roy Halladay. That that actually blows my mind. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a it's a crazy number.
1: What is that? Uh, that's a run. That's basically a run a game more.
0: Yes. Uh, the back of the rotation, some of which we are going to face this series, is not so good. The Pirates face off against uh, Joe Blanton in the first game. Uh, they get Vance Worley in the, in the second game, who has pitched well. After that, I'm not sure who it's going to be, but probably Kyle Kendrick's going to be there, I, w- I would imagine. That hasn't been good. The bullpen has really struggled. And the offense, as we expected, has been you know okay, but not, not so great.
1: Yeah, you know what's funny is we talk about how how weak the Pirates' offense is. The Pirates, between the Pirates and the Phillies, we could really put a solid lineup out there. You know, we'll we'll put Ruiz at catcher. Okay. We can throw Jimmy Rollins at short and put, uh, you know, put Victorino and uh, and Hunter Pence in the corners, and and that'd be that'd be a nice team. Their their lineup is surprisingly inept. Is I guess where I'm coming out on this. Without Utley and Howard, they really don't have a lot of punch in there.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, far be it from us to talk because it's still much better than the Pirates lineup, but, but maybe not recently. So, so I, you know, I think we can go in, into the the Philadelphia series with our, with, uh, with a sense of optimism for sure.
1: Yeah, so we get where we get Carstens and Blanton tonight. That probably, you know, the roll of the dice here with Jeff Carstens coming back. But Blanton has been not great. And I I think you wrote something about him giving up uh, home runs in his last eight starts, maybe 16 in total in those eight starts. And then then we get Vance Worley, who I think is probably underrated tomorrow against Eric Bedard. And the Phillies have gone to be determined now uh, because of the doubleheader they had uh, for Wednesday and Thursday um so yeah you're right it's it's uh it's a little better than the the opening series when you're going hamels and lee and you know holiday and whomever it may be
0: right yeah that was that was awful this is not so bad so yeah i have a series against the cardinals after that that should be much tougher but i'm I'm liking the pirates chances in in this
1: series charlie the, the uh kind of the big news i think the the most interesting news in terms of all this shuffling around is yesterday after uh, the game, Clint Hurdle said that Brad Lincoln would go to the pen and Kevin Correa would stay in the rotation. And I, I've been on Twitter with this topic for, you know, the past couple of days. I think the answer is people were, uh, not surprisingly, I think the, the answer is people were split on uh, what they would like to see. Uh, and obviously the logic of moving Lincoln to the pen is that he has been fantastic in his 20 innings or so out of the pen. I think giving up one earned run, striking out 23 batters, he was ineffective in his three starts as a starter until Saturday when he was very good. so I think the, the, the view is Brad Lincoln's the, certainly the better pitcher, but he can have maybe he, he can be electric out of the back end of the pen whereas Correa is going to be a mop- up guy and really you know ideally not really pitch. Um, so what are your thoughts on the decision how they made it and where we're headed?
0: I, I, you know, I'm I'm honestly kind of tired of, of belaboring it, just because every time I talk about it, it sounds like I'm just this witch hunt against this one guy. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that the Pirates are kind of going the safe route here, and, and, and that's not to say that I think that leaving Correa in the rotation is a particularly safe move, but they keep both of them in the organization, and, yeah, I mean, they just have them both still available, and I guess if you look at you know, both of them starting this weekend, they did both of them really well, so from that perspective, it's it's hard to argue. You know how it is. I'm just not a Correa fan. I would prefer that he not be in the rotation, but I can't really argue with the logic of, of letting Lincoln throw 95, 96 mile an hour fastballs as a bullpen pitcher, where I think he can be very successful as opposed to what he's doing as a starter, which I don't think is I think, based on what we've seen, is probably not sustainable in the long term.
1: Two questions for you, Charlie. One is, uh, let's look at this as a 30-day tryout for Brad Lincoln as a as an eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning guy. There's no question in my mind he goes to the bullpen. He kind of supplants Juan Cruz as you know it goes Lincoln Grilly in one way or another to get to Hanrahan. Do the Pirates, if they're in contention here, a month from now? Uh, and Lincoln pitches well, is there still a chance they could move Grilly and or Hanrahan? Obviously, unlikely to move both, but is it possible that uh, you could get enough of a return, even if you're a contending team, say they're exactly where they are today in the standings, that you would move Hanrahan for a quality, uh, everyday player and, and uh, kind of say, you know, this is where we're going to go? Yes,
0: it's absolutely possible. I think I, I we've talked in the past about how uh, I asked Neil Huntington about this at about this time last year when uh, when the Pirates were in a similar position, and you know the, the kinds of moves where they are uh, they might be smart in terms of how it looks on paper, but it's really really going to make the fans angry. Neil Huntington loves those kinds of moves, so I I mean yeah I, I think if he 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 would absolutely consider it if the right offer came along. The question is what team uh, or in what circumstances a team would be willing to give up a potentially good everyday player who the Pirates can use right away for someone like Joel Hanrahan. That deal, that kind of deal might be out there. It probably won't. And I would think that if he's going to ship off Hanrahan and the Pirates are genuinely in contention three weeks from now or a month from now, it would probably be for someone that they would want to put in the lineup right away. So is there going to be a fit that that way? Maybe not, but yeah, I think it's absolutely something he would consider. All
1: right, excellent point on whether the deal is going to exist. I think that's yeah, right. I think you're right on there. Okay. Second question for you. There's a lot of people out there who's like, okay, they're showcasing Kevin Correa. I've got a strong view on this. I keep saying it. Um, uh, just you know, maybe you can just say it for me.
0: Ah, oh, it's just it's that's laughable. I mean, that's just laughable. It. it um, no, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be laughing at people, but there's just zero chance that that Kevin Correa will have any kind of value on the trade market. Every GI, I mean, I'm sure even somebody like Ned Colletti has someone whispering in his ear. Kevin Correa's strikeout rate is terrible. You cannot give up anything of value for him. No. So if if the Pirates are are leaving Correa in the rotation, uh, you know, and potentially lessening their chances of winning ball games in the present so that they can trade him later no they're not doing that I, I mean I just have to intellectually I just have to give them more credit than that they're they're smarter than that
1: yeah and I, I get it got in a little Twitter Twitter battle about this yesterday somebody's saying he has value because he's a replacement level player and other teams are starting worse guys they're, they're, the, the point here is we're talking about a trade if he gets DFA would would somebody pick him up sure probably yeah. they're gonna pay nothing uh, if he's out there on the on the waiver wire, Maybe not, but if he goes through waivers and you don't have to pay him anything, basically, sure, somebody will pick him up. The point is, if you're a non-contending team, you don't want Kevin Correa. You got to You know, there's no point in having him. If you're a contending team and you're looking to make a trade, he's not the guy you're going to target. You're going to go target a guy who's a higher a higher ceiling guy, a a better pitcher than that. So I just, uh, this whole idea that he's going to be, he's trade bait or he's going to be packaged with something else. I mean, look, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I'd be willing to bet a pretty sizable stake. That doesn't happen. So my, my third question for you, Charlie, is we see these guys, we've talked now at length about these guys, Owens, Locke, and Justin Wilson. And I guess what I'm seeing is variability in their performance. And I just think, maybe some fans expectations are a little too high. Brad Lincoln was the the best of that group and he's been a bit erratic as a starter up here. Do any of those guys do you see any of those guys offering uh assistance here uh that you know in the second half of the season?
0: They may be needed. I'm not I'm not sure if it, how much they'll contribute if if the entire rotation continues to stay healthy. I don't know what fans – I can't really comment on what fans' expectations of those guys might be. For me, it's, for me, it's about Correa and just I, – I just feel like he's a walking time bomb. And, you know, putting somebody in the rotation who might be mediocre, as I expect Locke or, or Owens or Wilson to be at this moment, would be better than having a walking time bomb in the rotation. You just look at his strikeout rate. You look at his history of – Correa's strikeout rate, his history of, of collapsing down the stretch – And I just can't – I think that they're just kind of playing fire.
1: Let's kind of – let me put you on the spot here a little bit as we look at this lineup heading into this series. We're 71 games in. Kind of we're going to get through this week, and we're basically going to be at the halfway point already. You've got – just as OPS plus numbers, you've got McCutcheon at 170, and then Garrett Jones and Pedro Alvarez a little bit over 100. What's kind of interesting to me is, aside from Clint Barmas at 47, we have seen the rest of this group of players kind of coalesce around, you know, 75 to to 90. We got Barajas at 88, McGee at 86, Walker at 89, and then Presley at 75 and Tabata at 74. If you're going to bet on these guys uh, over the, you know, let me ask you this: with with a hunt, you know, with 90 games to go, uh, is there somebody in that group of you know five guys that I just read who were kind of the everyday starters now that you think is most important to play better, or you most expect to perform better over the the next 90 games?
0: Wow, uh, yikes! Most expect to perform better. I think I mean just just from watching, I would probably say Alex Presley, but I'm I'm not too excited about his chances either. I would love for it to be Jose Tabata, but I don't I don't really have any idea what's going on there. What do you, What do you think?
1: Uh, Charlie, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if I were going to hope on a guy, I'd be hoping on Jose Tabata. I think he's the guy, you know, just like you. I kind of wonder what's going on there. He's 23 years old. We went through the hustle issue, you know, over the past month. It just doesn't seem to be driving the ball. Doesn't know how to run the bases. Eight stolen bases, eight caught stealings, get caught, got caught again yesterday. I, You know, I just, uh, he doesn't seem like, uh, he seems like an earnest guy maybe from, you know, the article that Dan Kovacevic wrote. Uh, and And maybe a guy who cares, which is always you know important to the fans um, but it just doesn't the pieces just don 't seem to be coming together like you would hope but and I guess the the fallback is that he 's twenty three the guy who I think he, who can be the most impactful if he were to revert to kind of the form we saw twelve months ago or eighteen months ago, would be Neil Walker. But as you were saying, you know, once you're 70 games into the season, it's hard to see guys being dramatically different than the 70 games that you just watched. So while the Barajas improvement is nice and McGee's improvement over the last month is nice, uh, I think these guys are who they are. And it's going to have to be, they're going to have to continue to win games like they have with very good pitching and, you know, timely hitting and riding the back of Andrew McCutcheon.
0: Okay, well, I guess now is now is the time to sort of think about, you know, the Pirates have played very well. Over the past few weeks, they're very much in contention in the NL Central. I'm not really sure how sustainable that is, but let's let's say that it is, and let's say that in four weeks, you know, we're still about where we are as we head closer to the trade deadline. What sorts of moves are you looking to make in order to upgrade this this offense, just purely based on on the stats we've we've talked about so far? Um, and I guess we could lead that into a discussion about about Kevin Youkilis as well.
1: Yeah, so I guess I'm not as much on the Josh Willingham, uh, Justin Morneau train as some people are. Just those are guys who are available to me. They're they're a little bit expensive. Uh, In in Morneau's case, maybe you know I I think it runs up to about 10 million, and and Willingham has two more years. It's seven million. I don't know where they fit. Being under contracts a nice thing, but. Looking forward, if, you know, there's some hope that Starling Marte comes along, uh, I don't know that you give up on both Presley and Tabata and have a place for him. So hmm. the answer is, you know, some of this stuff in the trade market, obviously, we have talked about in the past, it's very difficult to ascertain when you don't know the players that can be available. But from our side, Every one of the three guys in Altoona in, uh, in Indianapolis, the three starters, they're available in my book. Certainly anybody like Tim Wood or, or uh, you know or some of the older guys, Cabrero, they're not going to get it, bring any trade value, but you know if somebody wants them as well, uh, they're available. And yes, I, I make Hanrahan and Grilly available even if the pirates are in a position to be you know two or three games uh, in play, first place or out of first place. It's certainly in my mind today, They are the third favorite to win the division behind, you know, St. Louis and Cincinnati. So I do what I can to upgrade the offense, but with a longer term view. So the rental stuff, again, uh, less interesting to me. I think the Pirates, what they did last year is absolutely fine. Uh, You go out and give up very little to get guys you hope are going to impact. No problem with that. And on that view... I would not have been opposed to, to getting Kevin Euclid for kind of the package the White Sox get, gave up and only two million dollars.
0: And what do you what do you and just as an exercise and thinking about how the, the lineup might look after such a move, what do you, what do you do with him once he gets here?
1: I think for him he's a utility guy and, and you you know you play the hot hand. What I kind of laughed about and I, I tweeted about this yesterday is I think McGee's uh, I think his his numbers were uh, in terms of last year he put it up an OPS. Of about, uh, let me just get it exactly right. I think he put up an OPS last year of six, uh, six twenty six, and this year up until June first, he had an OPS of five twenty one. And you look at Euclid and, you know, I think his OPS right now is 680 and it was 883 last year. And people were like, well, you know, why do that when you have Casey McGee? Well, you can't believe in Casey McGee in his hot month of June and in the same voice kind of completely right off Kevin Euclid. So just in my simple thinking, I think Euclid is a better player than Casey McGee. So I would, you know, but either way, depending on who, who is not playing, you have upgraded your bench substantially. If you're, if you're moving a guy like Drew Sutton or Jordy Mercer, you know, off the roster So uh, he's not a guy for that amount of money Or anything that needs to play every day He can start three times a week Or, uh, you know, you work in who's ever hot In terms of Tabata and McGee and and Euculus And even Pedro Alvarez in the platoon situation So, you know, I just I think an addition like that for that cost Would have been certainly worth rolling the dice on
0: Right, I mean, I think if you look at, at Uclus uh, You know, I know there was some disagreement About, about this this uh, this possibility, but if you look at Euclid, I mean, 2006 through 2000, uh, 2011, he was good every single one of those years. I mean, this really is,
1: good, really good.
0: Yeah, every single one of them. And this is not this is not Casey McGee we're talking about. This is not somebody who was kind of a blah player in the minors and put up a good season and a half with the Brewers that he's now parlaying into four or five year career. I mean, this is somebody who was a star or close to a star. I mean, as recently as last year. And you know, I think that that you you make that move, you can you can roll the dice that he can get that back. Obviously, he wouldn't be playing in Fenway anymore, so he has that working against him. But when you have the a, a price as low as the one that the White Sox paid, which is you know Zach Stewart, Brent Lillibridge, and a couple million dollars, I I think that that seems like a pretty good decision to me. So, yeah, and and you can. Continue to use both Euclid and, and McGee. And, and going forward, I, I would much rather have Euclid than McGee if it was just a choice between them.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And I think some people have speculated if you were trying to uh, draw the equivalent package from the Pirates minor league system or wh- whomever it may be, that was Stewart and Littlebridge. Is that, uh, is that Brian Morris and Yamica Navarro? Or is it, uh, you know, do you have anything that you can then, kind of roughly comp- comp- comparable?
0: Maybe maybe Rudy, Rudy Owens and, and Navarro or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which i which people might not get people might hear that and be like I don't want to trade Rudy Owens, but I I think there there may be is as, as the potential to overrate Rudy Owens there.
1: Yeah, I think I would've make that deal. I would have make that you Micah Navarro Rudy Owens for uh for Kevin Uglis, I'd make it as fast as they'd say yes. Yep, yeah, uh, yeah, me too. Okay, Charlie, we go to Philly for four. We got St. Louis. Uh, Believe it or not, kind of the all-star break is really coming up on us fast. Uh, Any kind of thoughts before uh, before we we start this, close this up and start this uh, road trip? I haven't looked at the voting or anything like that. I think it would be a terrible shame if if
0: McCutcheon uh, were not included somehow. Um, I think that James McDonald obviously should get a lot of consideration. Um, you might throw Joel Hanrahan in that discussion as well, but for me, he's been very wild. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of watching his outings on tenor hooks a lot recently. Just, you know, he's kind of Jose mesa in a little bit. And, uh, I mean, you know, obviously a much better pitcher than that, but he's, he's making his outings exciting in a, in a bad way. Um, the other guy who had... You know, I think that that should at least be in the discussion. Is is one of your favorite guys, Jason Grilly.
1: Yeah, I think you know, I think Grilly and AJ Burnett are. You know, unfortunately for for them, Grilly, obviously, as much as we discount all this, he doesn't have the saves. He's not gonna. You know, he's not gonna get consideration even though he's been as good a setup guy as there has been in baseball and probably with certainly with a chapman kind of imploding lately and you know you can make it you know i think you can make a very reasonable argument different situation so he's been a better pitcher than joel hanrahan but i think there's zero chance that he would be taken in front of joel hanrahan here for the all-star game and then burnett you know he's put up great numbers and everybody loves to throw out his numbers without the st louis game like that somehow doesn't count but with james mcdonald being the front guy and certainly the pirates being as kind of low profile as they are 19 straight losing seasons it would even shock me if they got three guys on the all-star team but there's no question in my mind that all three guy all three of those well McDonald and McCutcheon are unquestionably deserving to go, and I imagine Hanrahan will get a lot of consideration, let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, uh, when is the the All-Star game is only two weeks from now, and that's really a shame, because if, if it was maybe in late July, for example, the buzz about the Pirates could be much louder, and they could potentially get more guys on the roster simply by being a good story. I mean, the press loves a good story, but as it stands they only have a couple more weeks to sort of create that buzz so i, w- I would tend to agree with you that yeah they, i mean they, they,
1: like if they go take three out of four in philly and two out of three in st louis the buzz is going to be loud
0: well yeah that yeah maybe you're right well so so we'll see i guess
1: all right well if you want to follow us on twitter charlie's at bucks i'm at dt on pirates have a good week we'll try to get back at you at the end of the week maybe we'll get uh, maybe charlie maybe we'll get a st louis guy and preview where they are for the series And as always, thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout Podcast.